Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. After Ethan getting to find out how much of a dumbass his sister is. We both are. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's amazing that I'm a published scientist at this point. Well, you have well when Ian was walking. 20 episodes. When, <laughs> when Ethan was walking you through like all the steps of the plugging in stuff i was like oh that's really smart i wouldn't have thought of that (laughs) we have degrees (laughs) all of us (laughs) hey we we got there eventually kind of Um, you let me know if your back starts hurting (laughs) (laughs) um so welcome to the podcast we have a guest on today uh my brother who kind of came down last minute um and sometimes listens to our garbage occasionally (laughs) from time to time um so and you've talked about wanting to come on and talk about some things though yeah well that i have uh like very niche understandings of like natural disaster events like mining like with the you guys did um the chilean one yes the chilean mine accident and i have experience with like there's a different one that leads into that one and they have the same kind of like rescue scenarios and the way that it like built up to that. Okay. Yeah. So for, for context, Ethan is, or went to school for mining engineering. Well, that's what you ended up doing. Yeah. Yeah. I went to school for engineering and came out as a mining engineer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. I don't think I knew that. So why, why did you pick that anyway? Uh, they basically did like a, an interest meeting thing when we were all freshmen and you had to go to like four or five different interest meetings for the different, um, like engineering disciplines. And I thought I really wanted to be an environmental engineer or a, um, biochemical engineer. So focused on like fixing, um, ecosystems and stuff like that. And so I went to those and there's a lot of like oh, here's the chemistry of it all. And like, this is the, how you do X, Y, or Z. And then I was like, you know what? I'll go to the mining one because it was uh, free food. (laughs) (laughs) And I went in there and they had all this cool stuff. They had all like the, um, the really interesting like clubs and programs that they do. And they kind of showed how you can be an engineer and be in charge of all this stuff, but it's all like, you're there, you're in the mine. You will be working with people. Like you're not obviously doing everything, but you're going to be like wherever the work is happening. Whereas 
with other forms of engineering, a lot of times you're like off in an office or like you've come up with the idea, but someone else is doing it. Um, mm-hmm. and that appeals to me, the whole like working with your hands. Yeah, the field, the field work <laughs> aspect. That's why I'm clinging on to my field biologist position for dear life, because I don't know, I can't. I can't be stuck behind a desk for too long. I go a little crazy, you know? Yeah. And speaking as someone who was a field technician and then went to a desk job, mm-hmm. it does suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you love what you do. You do, get I do. To travel some and sometimes go out in the field still, right? Yeah. Well, and also I'm still like at a lab. So if I'm bored, I just walk around and look at the animals. <laughs> so like <laughs> just get that little like dopamine rush. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And like we're on a canal. So sometimes manatees come by. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Location. <laughs> I mean, being in the keys helps <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. That definitely helps a lot. <laughs> Hard to have a bad office job when you're surrounded by ocean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, every office view is a decent office view, I would say, probably. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine's not bad, but I don't know. The Texas Gulf Coast is not like <laughs> pretty like the Keys. <laughs> it's no offense to Texas, but it's one of the ugliest coastlines, I think, in our country. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear, so my uncle that came to help fix the house, he lives part-time in Houston, and that's mm-hmm. where some of my cousins live. And he did tell me that, like, they were in Galveston or some sort of beach around the Houston area. I forget. But it was, like, obviously, like, around that area coastline. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you can't even get in the water because of all the bacteria that's in it. Like, you just just sit. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that sucks because, like, they would come to the Outer Banks with us a lot. And, like, he loves to go swimming in the water and, like, you know, hanging out on the beach and stuff. And so I was like, man, that must really suck for you because you can't even (laughs) go in the water and swim. I mean, I do, uh, but not in August. Um, yeah, when like the bacteria steep. is blooming, probably. Yeah, the whole uh, flesh eating bacteria is like a real concern for us here. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrifying. Actually. I find that yeah, I find that amazing. I did not know it was that gross down there. And yeah. then I heard. Okay, so I was talking to my friend the other day about the flower gardens out there yes and i didn't know know they were so far out yeah they're way out there yeah yeah it's like you you have to like stay overnight on a boat if you go out there Mm -hmm. is that right yeah Yeah, i had no idea that was that far so the flower gardens are a reef pretty much like in the middle of the gulf of mexico um it's just out there like on a seamount there's like no land but it's shallow enough that you can dive basically a reef um, and there's a lot of charters that go out there from here. And that's like the big dive to do if you're a diver in Texas, but you know, it costs money and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I haven't done it, but I would, I would love to do it. It would be very cool because otherwise our only options are like diving on oil rigs. Right. Which so is less exciting. Well, it's not that it's less exciting. It's kind of scary though. <laughs> Cause it's like usually very, yeah, but the viz isn't that great. And the, and the, you're just in basically open water yeah except for the rig which is a little disorienting and i think it would freak me out a little bit i'm like i need i need some kind of reference you know when i'm diving uh otherwise like i'd be concerned about like getting vertigo or yeah stuff like that so um speaking of which we're going to be talking about a little bit of diving today oh cool uh we're also going to be talking about um 
some uh, shipwrecks, shipwreck activity. So mm, uh, spooky. And uh, we're going, oh, yes. Actually, it is a very ooky, spooky story. Good thing um, we're recording in the daytime. It gives me all day to get over it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Our joke when we started this podcast is like, I started this podcast so I would stop telling Corey these stories like literally right 30 minutes before we go to sleep. <laughs> and now it's my burden to bear. <laughs> You signed up for it, though. So. I yeah. did. I willingly walked into it. <laughs> very, very well defined. <laughs> um, so you could argue you... that Corey signed up for it too, though. He, but he that... didn't know. <laughs> no, he knew. He knew early on what I was. Because when we started dating, that's when I started reading all of these stories, mm. and then I would show up and be like. Hey, do you want to hear about how a bunch of people died like on Everest? <laughs> it's like your third date, and he's like, "So what's new?" And you're like, "I read a story about how so many people died on Everest last week. <laughs> Let me tell you all about it." Yeah, so he knew I was on Hinge from the beginning. Um, That's funny. <laughs> didn't know he was going to have World War II flashbacks, though. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so we just finished watching um, Band of Brothers okay. again for the fiftieth time. I love that yeah. series. Um, if you haven't seen it go watch it because it's fucking it it's just great yeah probably one of the most accurate uh film captures of like what world war ii was probably like and it's just a good story overall but yeah so we just finished watching that and Corey had a dream the other night uh that he was in one of the battles and (laughs) it's just very brutal and real and i was like he's having fucking war flashbacks oh my god (laughs) i can imagine why he wouldn't want to hear you tell these stories 30 minutes before bed yeah (laughs) i was like oh (laughs) meanwhile i had a run-in with my uh sleep paralysis demon again so oh god i think that's fun i think are you on the sleep paralysis side of tiktok because that did that scares me a little bit when I watch those in bed. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> it was stories about those. I don't think mine is malevolent. He doesn't feel malevolent. I mean, he's he's a, just a hallucination. So, but like, I don't I don't get vibes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, yeah, I feel like our listeners have a, a long history of my uh, <laughs> sleep paralysis that comes up from time to time. <laughs> Ethan has it too. I do. <laughs> Do you guys notice that it gets worse when you're stressed, though? Because I had it in college when I was super stressed. Uh, but then, like, yeah. when, when I moved houses, it went away. So then I'm also like, was the house haunted or was I just stressed? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's probably true. It's mine's definitely more focused on stress, I think. Yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird fucking phenomenon. And yeah. I kind of hate it. Yeah. All right. So we've we've done our, our chit chat um for a while oh and i also wanted to talk a a little bit about the um the earthquake again that's ongoing oh and i have a development from the thai cave story oh okay okay to mention that yeah so i just wanted to give you know an update on what's going on there as far as you know how we were talking about how this was likely to become one of the deadliest um earthquakes um in modern history and mm-hmm. last time we talked, the death toll was 21,000. And oh, yeah. it has That's... since doubled and then some at 46,000 people. Oh, God. And they're still, they're still uncovering searching. people and bodies from the rubble. So 
again, if you have anything that you can throw towards these rescue organizations, you know, American Red Cross, Turkey's Red Crescent, um, there's all kinds of places you can donate to. If you listen to the last episode, we have a full list, but I will also put those up in the show notes, just talking about how this is an ongoing thing and something that uh, I think we need to you know, keep addressing because yeah. I mean, that's, that's a massive amount of people that have, are just gone. Yeah. It's devastating. And like at this point, it's just a recovery mission, not like a rescue mission. Yeah. So. The amazing thing is they're still finding people like 11 days later, still alive. That's impressive. I know. Like I thought you couldn't survive without food for like four days. No, that's water. Water. Yeah. Water's the one that's limiting food. You can go almost a month without. If, if How you... do you think they're surviving that long without water then? Or is that like they're being found and they're given water and then it takes like 11 days to get them out kind of thing? Either that or they have a water source or they had water with them kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. Also, I don't know that it's four days from whenever you stop drinking water. I think it's four days from once you become dehydrated. Oh, maybe they're, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So you could go a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. If my boyfriend ever got trapped, he'd survive. A long time then without water. (laughs) (laughs) Does he not drink water? No, I said he would survive. Yeah, he drinks a lot of water, like (laughs) gal, like probably two and a half gallons of water a day. Just carry around a like milk jug full. Well, that's what he would do. So, like for work, he's outside all the time, and it's hot as anything out here. And he's like his uniform, his weight, his like belt is like forty pounds because it's got like the taser and the gun and the handcuffs and all that stuff in it, and. So he would get like one of those plastic jugs from the store and like just refill that and then he'd toss it. So for Christmas, I got him um, a customized Yeti gallon jug. Yeah. So that's, yeah, he just takes a, literally a gallon jug around with him everywhere. I mean, yeah, Corey's getting to be that way. It's good, good though. It's not a problem. Did you die? <laughs> <clears throat> a little bit. <laughs> All right. So what's the Thai cave update? Uh, One of the kids died. Oh, like random. Yeah, my mom sent me this article and they don't know the cause of death yet, but it was like he had gotten a scholarship or something to some European soccer academy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, he just he died randomly. That's so, crazy. Going through all of that and then just yeah. dying a couple years later. Yeah, that's rough. Know, you know that know. story, right? Mm-hmm. yeah they were trapped for like two weeks basically yeah and dove dove did dived out dived out well they got like rescue divers came yeah in or whatever. yeah i mean we did the u.s army engineer divers yes that's right so ethan is also uh part of um the army engineers yeah he's a second lieutenant and uh from the sounds of it you don't do a lot of engineering <laughs> no <laughs> It's not not real engineer work. It's different. (laughs) That was just so sad. I was like, what the heck? And it just seems like, um, yeah, it was just random. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like maybe like long-term health effects from that incident Mm -hmm. harmed him, you know, you never know. Yeah. Was it like an accident or? No, it was just like, um, it was just random. Like he, I, I don't know if he was like actively playing soccer or something and he had like in, a medical event happen and he died or like if mm. he died um he turned 13 when he was trapped inside the thai cave 
Still don't know what caused the sudden death of him. Oh, his nickname was Dom. It was at the football academy in Britain, to which he had been so proud to win a scholarship last year. He might, he may have been playing soccer when he had the medical event. He may not have been playing soccer. Mm, okay, so they really uh, just don't have that much information about it right yeah, now. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on from that bummer to another bummer. Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're also we're also talking about diving today, and we're talking about um, shipwrecks today. Ooh. And in a place that you and I. I, don't, I wouldn't say we know very well, but we know fairly well. Better than most people that don't live in the area. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I'll just get into it. Are we ready to get into it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I got your thing pulled up right here. All right. So shipwrecks are an internal part of human history. For as long as we have been sailing the high seas, we have been sinking spectacularly. <laughs> leaving behind a graveyard of vessels in our wake at every quarter of the globe. Um, But not all shipwrecks occur on the open ocean or even in seas or bays. Some wrecks, many wrecks, occur on lakes, Uh, the Great Lakes to be specific, because they're just big old seas. Um, We have talked about these magnificent inland seas before when we talked about the disastrous wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald on Lake Superior, which I know that will immediately trigger Dad to sing the Gordon Lightfoot song. It triggered me to mentally sing it, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the Great Lakes are so unruly that Michigan has more shipwrecks in state waters than even North Carolina with its favorite or famous um, graveyard of the Atlantic. Yeah, that's impressive. Making Michigan the state with the most shipwrecks in the country. And that's about... Um, 1500 to be exact which that's a lot Mm -hmm. so in fact if you combine all the shipwrecks in the great lakes they would like all the shipwrecks like from all the great lakes if you combined them there would be more shipwrecks there than all of the other bodies in the world combined oh my god like that is the shipwreck hotspot of the world how is that a thing isn't like all those lakes obviously landlocked now yeah they're totally landlocked so but, like back in the day when they weren't no they never like in human history they were never not landlocked basically oh. yeah they're only not landlocked because of the uh whatever canal the canals the locks right. the st Lawrence seaway so they are because they are literally i mean we've both been to them they look you look out and it feels like you're on the ocean you cannot see the other side period. so all of these shipwrecks are pretty much like fishing boats probably no 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 they're big shipping freight barges and schooners and stuff when before we you know used engines i've never been up that way so it's hard for me to wrap my head around all that because i'm like oh it's a lake no not for big boats (laughs) i i say inland sea because that's essentially it is it is the north coast yeah 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 so Michigan, with having the most shipwrecks of any state, also has the longest coastline and has um, the most lighthouses in the country. Gotcha. So that's that's how big this... It's hard to describe until you go and you see these these lakes. It's just like, it's unbelievable Yeah. Um, how big they are. And on top of that, uh, the northern Midwest is not really known for great weather. 
Oh, that's true. I mean, talking about that blizzard that just came through and fucked up Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's like that the combination of those two things um, and the fact that like if you have a lake, it's basically just a bowl of water and when you push it around like you can get really big waves because it'll hit one side and hit the other and it creates mm-hmm. all this momentum whereas if you're out in the open ocean you don't have that kind of there's nothing to reflect it back yeah so there's all those things that combine to to make the great lakes like really dangerous well i think it it like to put it in perspective like they have waves and swells that like swallow ships that's yeah. why there's so many shipwrecks in the area yeah gotcha. yeah yeah but it is one of the vital like lifelines to the Midwest, which is a big economic region for both us and Canada. Um, and so we sh- and in the summer, you know, and, uh, and yeah. in the spring, it's fine. But once yeah. it's fall and winter, it can get really nasty. So so what happens when a shipwreck is uncovered and the past sticks around to haunt the present? We're going to find out today when we talk about the wreck of the SS Kamloops, which is such a goofy name. And I tried to find out why it's called the Kamloops. No idea. Because <laughs> I knew you would probably ask. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very well, Haley question. <laughs> the, the more confusing part for me in my brain this morning is I keep reading the old Whitey as the old Whitney. <laughs> I'm just like putting an extra letter in there for some reason. So, um, so this is kind of a ghost story. Um, I would say it's ultimately a tragedy, not a survival story, but it's very interesting because we haven't really gotten answers about it until the modern day and age, which happens a mm-hmm. lot with these kinds of stories. So, so again, the Great Lakes have been used as a major shipping area in the Midwest for centuries, being first used by indigenous peoples of the area, later by European settlers, leading to a large shipping industry feeding the surrounding states and provinces, which include, this is there's a lot, Ontario, Quebec, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. That's a huge chunk of the country. That is. And when you said Quebec... It just made me laugh because have you ever seen Letterkenny? Hell yeah, I've seen Letterkenny. And there's that, epi- <laughs> <laughs> and there's that episode where I'm like, oh, Quebec? Quebec? Quebec. There's like, good fishing in Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to learn more about know. Canada, do yourself yeah. a favor and watch Letterkenny. <laughs> we'll teach you everything you need everything. to know. Um, so the lakes consist of five lakes, Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, and the largest of which we will be talking about today, which is Lake Superior. These lakes were formed by melting glaciers from the last ice age and are large enough to be considered inland seas. Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake by surface area in the world and the third largest by volume, and it holds 10% of the world's freshwater. Wow. That's huge. It's a large percentage. Um, its name in Ojibwe is Gichigami, meaning the Great Sea, or as Gordon Lightfoot says, Gichigumi. Yeah. <laughs> Gichiguchi. <laughs> um, its average depth is 483 feet, uh, but its deepest point is 1,333 feet deep. Mm. So That's pretty deep. Yeah, because you know most of our coastal shelf zones only go down to like 200 feet. Right. So that's as deep as like the ocean, you mm-hmm. know, 
This region is especially prone to storms and storms on Superior regularly feature wave heights over 20 feet. Um, there is a large shipping industry that makes its way through the lakes regularly. They're all connected by a series of locks and connected to the ocean by the St. Lawrence River and Seaway um, to the Atlantic. Um, an upbound ship is basically headed into the lakes, up into the lakes, and a downbound or outbound ship is headed back out to the Atlantic Ocean. Gotcha. Um, so as the Great Lakes are prone to particularly stormy fall and winter season, the shipping season usually lasts from when the ice melts in spring through early fall. However, late season shipping in October and November regularly causes these barges and freighters to experience intense storms. Lake Superior sits at the top and at the end of this lake system and drains into Lake Huron via the St. Mary's River. It's here where the famous uh, Sault Ste. Marie locks or Sioux locks sit, forming the connection between Huron and Superior that every ship must go through to enter this lake. So that's how we kind of get these big ships in and out of these gotcha. lakes. So the ship we'll be talking about today, the SS Cam Loops, just sounds like a serial. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I like looked up to see if there was like what its namesake is, and there's absolutely nothing I, on it because the only thing that comes up is the wreck. I know. I told you. I tried to look for it. It's like its location <laughs> is Kamloops Point. It's like, oh, I wonder why it's named that. <laughs> well, gee. Uh, so it was built by in England by the Furnace Shipbuilding Company in 1924 for Steamships Limited of Montreal to use in the Great Lakes shipping trade. She was used as a transport package freight, but could also carry bulk cargo. It had a length of 250 feet, a weight capacity of 2,400 tons, and a draft of 14 feet. So this is a big, it's a mm -hmm. big boat. It's, I mean, She's a one could big say girl. it's a ship. <laughs> could say that. One of my favorite things about sailors is like when they get mad when you call their ship a boat. So I just do it all the time. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, oh, it's a good boat. <laughs> so during her time in the Great Lakes, she sailed under Captain William Bryan and engineer uh, T.W. Verity. Kamloops' first season started late in the shipping season on September 13th. 1924 where she weathered several storms in december where when winds were 50 to 60 mile per hour so that's hurricane yeah about um and other vessels wrecked but she didn't so because of her ability to weather these storms the cam loops continued to operate as long as possible each season the cam loops operated through uh 1926 without much issue until december 3rd of 1926 when 100 ships including the Kamloops got frozen in the St. Mary's River during a storm. Oh damn. Yeah, the Kamloops was finally freed on December 11th after it had been trapped for 9 days. Um and this was a survival story of its own as there were about 2000 people aboard all 100 of those icebound ships and supplies were running short throughout this time and it took over a week for workers to free all of the ships out of the river. So this is just like normal stuff that these guys have to do. <laughs> Here's a thought though. So there's a hundred ships that are scattered throughout this lake, river, mm. whatever, mm -hmm. frozen. Would it be possible for people to like leave the ship, like 
walk until they get to like another ship and then like sleep there or whatever and then keep walking until they were back like on land i mean yeah it's kind of like like hop like ship hopping and yeah because it's frozen so they can walk on it right well when when the great lakes are frozen people do well they ride snowmobiles now but they would take like their horses with like sleighs and go like to and from like the island of Mackinac, mm-hmm. for example yeah. and they would put in christmas trees to like light the way or like to like line it so that when it was really bad weather you could still see because mm-hmm. the ice yeah. is so thick because the lakes are so large yeah 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 i mean that's definitely i mean i don't know how they exactly got everybody out maybe some some of them did do that the thing is too is that part of the country it, there's not a lot there's not cities there's there's small towns but there's not like major cities so it's, even if they walked to land it's like would they be able to get the help that they needed i mean it's it's like all yeah. forest. Oh, I mean, there. I feel like if they got to a small town, like that's better than being stranded on a ship and running out of supplies, though, right? Yeah, for sure. But I don't know. It was just a thought I had. I was like, if I was stranded on a ship and I figured there was a hundred other ships out there in the same position, <laughs> I would just kind of like take my chances. At least, like, I would just go start mooching off of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I would pack my supplies. I'd be like, okay, it's probably going to take me, like, three or four days to get to land because of how big that area is, right? Like, it's big, but it's not that big. Like, it would take mm-hmm. you a couple days. So, you, like, pack your shit, ration it out, and just be like, hey, can I just, like, pop a squat for the night? And then I'll be out by daybreak. I mean, it's it's an option. I mean, people... It's an option that people have taken, and then their ships get found completely frozen with you know a few dead bodies, and yeah, they're like, yeah. "Where's everyone else go?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I do think that you know they were able to free most of those people within that period, but that's a lot of ships and a lot of people, and yeah, just especially for that area. So I think it just took a long time, and the storm was still ongoing, so maybe it wasn't safe to travel in between the ships or. Um, you could get That's easily fair. It lost. could have been like a blizzard. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the Cam Loops had been running the Great Lakes for three years at this point, and its 1927 season experienced no issues until December when it met its ultimate fate. The vessel from um, left from Port Colburn, Ontario, upbound, so moving into the lakes on December 1st um, at 9.30 a.m., passing Detroit at 11.30 a.m., which I think is the connection between Lake Ontario and Lake Huron is where Detroit sits. Yeah. And there's a series of locks there as well. Um, the Cam Loops then passed the Sault Ste. Marie locks or the Sioux locks on December 4th. Fearing poor weather, Captain Brian planned on anchoring the ship, especially with a after a large front moved in on December 5th, forcing upbound vessels to shelter and anchor at Whitefish Bay. Um, temperatures were reported to be negative 40 during the storm, um, and that's Fahrenheit. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and by December 7th, the storm had become a full-blown blizzard. That's the thing about these storms is, like, sometimes during like a midwestern blizzard it can be colder there than in like the north pole or antarctica which is so blows my mind yeah yeah this started on december 5th and by the 7th it became a full-blown blizzard so that's like yeah. two days yeah Gross. so the storm on the lakes grew worse and by the time damage reports were filtering in on the 9th five vessels were declared a total loss or completely missing with the cam loops along among the missing. 
There were 22 people aboard the ship and the cam loops also had two women on board as assistant stewardesses, Janae Grafton and Alice Betridge, because it was the 1920s and trying to get those flappers out working. <laughs> They're going to show their gams. They can work <laughs> like a man. <laughs> Here we go with the mid-Atlantic accent again. I love it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite accents to do. It's so fun good radio voice <laughs> <laughs> um a search for the cam loops began on december 12th when the ship was overdue at fort william ontario the islet prince captained by uh a.e fader searched the north shore and a government tugboat the murray steward searched the south shore of the lake in addition searchers wanted to canvas isle royale which uh, would have been the closest landmass to where the Kamloops was thought to have sunk. So due to the bad weather and ice surrounding the inlets on the island, um, that would have made for like a safe landing, uh, searchers were unable to search Isle Royale physically for survivors. They just had to go along the shoreline to look. Upon returning to the Sioux locks and discovering the Kamloops was still missing, uh, Captain Simpson of the Kadok, 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 <laughs> gave an account <laughs> of uh, what he saw while he was anchored near Whitefish Bay during the storm. Uh, as a Kadok was one of the ships that managed to weather out the bad conditions on Whitefish Bay. He stated that the Kamloops was next to them when they were moving upbound into Lake Superior on December 4th. By 10 p.m. on Tuesday of December 6th, the lookout of the Kadok saw a dark mass ahead and gave an alarm um, because they were about to run into a shoal of rocks that was offshore of Isle Royale. Um, Yikes. They missed it. They turned sharply and blew the danger signal to the Kamloops. But since visibility was poor and there was a strong north wind, it was unknown if the Kamloops heard the signal or saw the rocks. It was stated that there was no wireless radio aboard the Kamloops, so they would not have been able to call for rescue. So he was like the last person to see the Kamloops or the last. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it just went, and it's went just away. Gone, which hmm. definitely calls back to like the Edmund Fitzgerald sinking. Uh, if you remember, there's a similar situation where another, they were going alongside another boat and then they just like, didn't see them anymore <laughs> went into a swell came out of the swell and they're gone oh a while yeah. <laughs> which is totally a thing down there <laughs> but trying to get my dad to write in some of the stories from his family's sailboat adventure oh yeah one yes. summer <laughs> when you know Mackinac bridge was completely obscured by a wave going over the ship and stuff like that yeah, yeah. they the whole little family on the sailboat <laughs> stuck in a storm on these giant ass lakes <laughs> or almost getting hit by a freighter yeah or... they yeah they definitely almost got hit by a barge in the middle of the night because it was dark and couldn't see him so oh my god and my uncle going out in the rowboat with a single paddle or yeah, losing the paddle on the way out they almost oh. lost him <laughs> oh my god so, yep so uh, we, we come from Great Lakes stock. I don't know if we come from Great Best Great Lakes sailing stock, but they made it. They're, they they survived. And Grandpa, whose idea it was to do it, but was seasick the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that stinks. Yeah. 
Okay, so you said you found the name origin of the Kamloops. Yeah, I just Googled Kamloops name origin, and the first thing that pops up is that the word Kamloops comes from the Sequimic. It's a indigenous term, mm-hmm. um, and it means where's where the rivers meet. Oh, that's nice. So, well, it was like a Canadian logging ship, right? Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Now, although they don't have the best relations with the uh, the First Nations <laughs> no, peoples, they don't. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love how finally in 2022 we're like, hey, you guys didn't treat Native Americans very well either. <laughs> yeah, but the Trail of Tears is a very, very like poignant thing yeah as opposed to just oppressing people where they are all the time i don't know residential schools are, are oh, pretty bad yeah. yeah um yeah canada has a, a violent history of of dealing with their native peoples <laughs> probably as violent as ours i would say but that's nice that they named a ship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reparations something like that all right so back to the cam loops um Actually, we're going to talk about um, Isle Royale for a minute first. That's fun. Uh, Isle Royale. It's cool. Um, So I have pictures and maps of Isle Royale. Uh, So it's currently a national park on the island in the middle of Lake Superior. Um, It's one of the least visited national parks in the U.S. because it is a remote wilderness only accessible by ferry or plane from which everywhere around there is also yeah. kind of a remote wilderness too. So you have to like put effort in if you're going to Isle Royale. The park also closes in winter due to Lake Superior's rough and unpredictable weather. So you can't even get out there in the wintertime. Um, it's also the largest island in Lake Superior. And before it was a national park, the island was a hunting ground for indigenous people Later, it was mined for copper and was, quote, unquote, given to the United States by the British after the War of 1812. <laughs> and I say given because, I mean, none of it is our, our land. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't really the British. It wasn't theirs to give. The claim was moved. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. It is a site of previous survivors of shipwrecks and other expeditions, so it is not a stranger to hardship. This island also serves as an important site for ecology, as it is the site of a detailed predator-prey study between wolves and moose that has been going on for 50 years and is caught in most college-level ecology courses today. Probably was caught taught in your ecology class. I know it was taught in mine. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. I can't remember. I think, uh, yeah, my marine ecology class, I want to say, is the one I'm thinking of where I dropped out because this, our professor was like the last semester from retiring, gave us the wrong test and then told us we're all fucking idiots because we all failed it. I think the grade point average for that test was like a 37 or something like that. And then we were like, we this was our study guide that you gave us and then this was the test that you gave us and he's like oh well i'm not dropping the grade so and we're like well we're all gonna (laughs) fail the class then (laughs) so i dropped the class so ecology was not your best time (laughs) no i had to take it (laughs) yeah but it is if you look it up it's really interesting i think you'd, you'd find it interesting um because they've, they've literally been running this story or this 
sorry, study for 50 years. And because it's an island, they know exactly how many wolves and exactly how many moose are on that island and can actually track them. So it's like this perfect contained population study. And they have all this really interesting data of how it goes back and forth where there's a ton of wolves and there's not that many moose. So then the wolves start starving and then it switches back over to where there's a ton of moose because there's not as many predators. And it just, it's a really interesting um, and really cool, like contained study. So Isle Royale has been a significant landmark in the area in Lake Superior and could have possibly served as a place that survivors could have gotten to in a storm like this. So the searchers couldn't get to it initially. So more time passed without a trace of wreckage and the wreck of the Kamloops became a Great Lakes legend and mystery. And it wasn't until spring that Isle Royale could be reached. Kamloops fell out of the press until fishermen found two bodies on Isle Royale on May 26th. So the ice didn't melt until May 26th around the time. <laughs> so five months. Yeah. Uh, so the bodies were both wearing life preservers with cam loops written on them. Um, and they were found among the shipwreckage, which included the top of the wheelhouse, a flag with cam loops printed on it and a lifeboat were also found. It was thought that these people survived the wreck and got into a lifeboat, but perished due to exposure upon reaching the island as no one would have been able to reach them and Isle Royale would not have any shelter and very limited resources during the winter. So even if they had the energy to survive after like literally being plunged into the water and sitting around in a blizzard, there's really not that much. I guess you could hunt moose. If you can hunt a moose, maybe, but I don't know. (laughs) But isn't there also that thing though? It's like the, like the, the protein poisoning it's not protein poisoning but like when you yeah. eat too much meat then like it, it hurts you more than it helps you at a certain point yes yes there's like an, an overbalance of like certain vitamins that ends up becoming actually toxic yeah um especially if you eat predators it's even worse mm. yeah it's it's a thing that happens a lot in like arctic survival stories because literally the only thing you can get yeah is, is meat not to mention if you don't have any vegetables or anything to provide you with vitamin vitamin C, then you get scurvy, mm-hmm. which is a different issue. So never want to have scurvy. No, we've, we've talked about it a lot. It's pretty gross. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. God. So um, on June 4th, six more bodies were found. All six were decomposed, but one did appear to be one of the w- women. She was later identified as Alice Betridge because she had a set of natural teeth. And what does that mean? What does natural teeth mean? I feel like that means it's not natural. (laughs) Like, (laughs) well, I mean, remember last week we talked, we talked a lot about teeth last week. I know. That's why I feel it's not natural. And I'm still a little triggered by teeth right now. (laughs) It's not been long enough. So natural teeth are, you know, these. Okay. We have. For some reason, I thought, especially back then. That natural teeth meant that they took teeth from an animal because she didn't have any teeth and then like made a set <laughs> and then like they called them natural teeth. Like old like George, said- Georgie. Yeah. <laughs> horse teeth, which actually yeah. were the teeth of slaves. But that's, uh, that's besides <laughs> that's the point. A different time. <laughs> um, no. So Nettie had false teeth. So I'm assuming she had some form of like 1920s dentures. Yeah. Um, that's basically how they could tell who was who. 
gotcha. um, which is similar to how we tell who is who now by their dental yeah. work often. So the belief was that all of these bodies were occupants of that same lifeboat that made it to shore because they all also had life jackets on. Some of these members were found huddled around the remains of a fire. So you know that they survived for a little bit after they made it to shore. A ninth body was found in the interior of the island, a fair distance from the shore. And it was thought to be the remains of Henry Gnest, the first mate. He was not wearing a life jacket, but one was found nearby, meaning that it was likely he walked into the interior island away from the rest of the group, maybe to try to find resources um, before dying of exposure. And so, so now we're starting to put together a picture of, of what might have happened here. Mm-hmm. In December of 1928, a message in a bottle was found at the mouth of the Agawa River by a trapper. And this bottle was 150 miles away from where the wreck of the Kamloops was estimated to be. In it was a note from Alice Betridge reading, I am the last one alive, freezing and starving to death on Isle Royale in Lake Superior. I just want my mom and dad to know my fate. Oh, that's so sad. So these signs show that the crew of Kamloops may have survived a day or maybe days alone on the island before succumbing to the elements, even as search crews were looking for them on the shoreline. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. And this is not the only story that is like this on the Great Lakes, for sure. It is a harsh fucking place. (laughs) Yeah. Seems like it. Um, I have to take a pause and let Waylon outside because he's been really annoying. But if you guys want to keep going and talk amongst yourselves, go for it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I went away to take Waylon outside for a second and I come back and Jillian and Ethan are talking about people's body parts being eaten while they're still alive. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the morbidness it it comes it's co- the call's coming from in the house. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, yeah. it really is just a Swinford thing because like Dad, dad listens to this he's very interested in it i've had long conversations with our cousin jeff about all of this and he's on the swinford side and ben my uncle it's a it's very much you know i will say like my mom is kind of like leans morbid because she like when somebody dies or like i don't know it's just death she just always feels the need to talk about it i remember driving home with her for christmas one year and like i counted it I, and I was like, Mom, you know, we just talked about people die, like three people dying within like the last hour. Can we like just take a minute to like talk about something happy? Like, <laughs> like this is kind of really depressing. <laughs> and then you get me, who's like twenty yeah. times <laughs> so bad. But she is like, like she is just like I think into the the death thing because one of my friends sadly had another friend that passed away the mm-hmm. other day I think it was from like a seizure an epileptic seizure incident yeah. and I was on the phone with my mom and she was like one of the first things she said within like the first five minutes was like did you see Carolyn's post and I was like mom yes can we just not talk about people <laughs> dying for one conversation <laughs> I think some people it's just it's a fascinating topic it is yeah, yeah. Well, and like I used to have epilepsy, so my mom was probably like relating it back mm. to the seizure thing, you know? She's like, that's yeah. so sad. Yeah. All right. So ba- back to this, the death. <laughs> All right. Sorry. 
you just a spoiler alert <laughs> well not really <laughs> not really because we did just talk about it you're right you're right you're right you're right so the location of the Kamloops wreck remained a mystery for decades following the event it was until the advent of diving that the Kamloops could be uncovered so on August 21st 1977 two divers from Minnesota Ken Engelbrick and Randy Salter were making an exploratory dive as part of a greater systematic search for the Kamloops at 12 o'clock point, which was uh, where they thought the Kamloops was. Robert Oberg, who was the captain of the Voyager 2, had scanned this part of the lake bed earlier with a fathometer? Fathometer? I don't know. Phthometer um, that indicated a shipwreck lay there on its side and directed the two divers to the area. The two divers were scanning the area at 195 feet deep, which is pretty darn deep, mm-hmm. um, when they spotted the shadow of a wreck with a flagpole sticking out of it. Ken states that they saw this really big shadow, the cam loops, and this other shadow coming out of it, which was the flagpole. I got a really big rush and started trucking over there. They did later dives in the following weeks in September when they confirmed that the wreck was the cam loops by taking pictures of the ship's name on the freighter's stern. So and this I- is like 50 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And in the 1977, I'm impressed that they can dive that deep because that goes beyond what you can do as an like an open water diver. That starts to get into like technical diving, hmm. and your risk from like getting the bends increases significantly at that depth. So you have to have like knowledge of diving. And like the 70s was when they they just started doing scuba diving yeah. and stuff like that. So that's interesting. So after discovering the wreck, experts begin using evidence from the dives to determine what might have happened to the camp loops. Katie Shuttle of Anchor News in 1979 stated, um, based on you know her interviews with the experts, that the expedition discovered that the engine telegraph was set at the finished with engines position, indicating the engines may not have been operational at the time of the sinking. The smokestack... Mm on top of the cam loops had toppled over the st- starboard side breaking through the starboard railing aboard the stern so the coal fired engine would not be able to function without the stack so that's why they think the engines were turned off so without power and functionality of the engines the ship would be completely vulnerable to the storm basically unable to maneuver in any direction um so the ship uh, was likely pushed towards Isle Royale, where she hit the rocks, um, smashing the bow. The ship may have been temporarily grounded on the the rocky reef, and the crew would have likely stayed aboard, hoping the ship stayed put until rescue came, which is reminiscent of, um, oh, the, the one we talked about where the, sh- the ship broke in half. I'm forgetting the, the Pendleton. Pendleton? Yeah. So they were stuck, likely stuck on that reef waiting for rescue. But unfortunately, it seems the Kamloops took on water quickly, causing the ship to sink off the reef and below the waves before anybody even knew what was going on. So like Um, the storm ruined the smokestacks, which mm -hmm. then ruined the engine, Mm -hmm. which then made it become idle. And then the storm just kind of made everything so much worse from there. Yeah, pushed pushed it up on a wreck. 
Gotcha. So that makes sense why they were able to get to a lifeboat because it, yeah. it didn't just sink immediately. Yeah. They were probably stranded on the rocks. Um, wow. And in most situations, you want to stay on your ship because getting in a lifeboat and that kind of weather will probably kill you. Yeah, that's that's a general rule. If your your ship is afloat, you should probably stay on it. So the divers were surprised at how well preserved the wreck was, including the farm machinery that was being shipped to the Canadian plains and food that was almost in edible condition as the water rarely gets a few degrees above freezing at that depth in the lake. In addition, there's not much life down at the bottom of the lake, especially in the form of scavengers or detritivores. So things as delicate as clothing were even preserved. Um, Because the dive is so deep and the water is so cold, it's only reserved for experienced divers. And the divers that went down began to come back up with ghost stories. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) It's spooky. I was going to do this one for Halloween this year, but I have so many good spooky ones that I was like, you know what? I'm going to do is just do this now. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, what's her name? Geosaurus on mm-hmm. TikTok. I yeah. just heard her voice go, welcome to Spooky Lake Month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if she's done this one. I feel like she probably has. Because uh, she loves talking about the Great Lakes. Well, because she lives there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the reason they were coming up with ghost stories is because they had met one of the crewmen who was lingering around the ship, who they had nicknamed Grandpa. <laughs> why and like this guy is dead or like that he was alive when they met them like what does meet him mean I'll, I'll explain okay oh he's a ghost is he i don't know just continue <laughs> <laughs> so as more and more divers dove the wreck the rumors of grandpa began to spread a pale white figure hanging out on the crew's bunks watching them as they swam through the ship Others said that he would follow them around the boat and try to reach out and touch them. Mm. It turns out that the spirit was actually incredibly real. (laughs) One of the crewmen was perfectly preserved down there, having never made it off the ship and to shore. And he was stiff with rigor mortis and stark white, but very well preserved. Oh, uh, so because of the lack of decomposition and bacteria, he never quote unquote floated and bloated as much most bodies do, or they yeah. pop up to the surface. Um, instead he just floated around the boat and it just became his like forever tomb. Oh, the white color of the crewman came from the fats of his body becoming adipocere, which is a soapy wax like substance. Ugh. Um, Adipocere is known as corpse wax and is formed by the anaerobic bacterial hydrolysis of fat that replaces body fat with like a firm cast of fatty tissues and is essentially soap, which I mean, in the old days, they used to make soap out of of lipids, body fat, fat, like from animals and stuff. So this is, he literally became a soap, a soap corpse, uh, so this happens to some bodies that say in extremely cold water, it's common. Um, because of the white color of his skin, divers began giving him the nickname Old Whitey. Ah, that's where this comes into play. Which sounds like your old racist grandpa. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, is he grandpa because he's old <laughs> and creepy and follows you around? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you. 
So as far as like the following or the around thing, so many rationalize that old whitey was basically being pushed around by the currents and that's why yeah. he followed people. However, many felt that there was something intelligent in how he moved. Mm. And these are divers. So they're people with at least some scientific. In the mind. 1970s? Well, that's a good point. <laughs> hey, go down there. <laughs> Here's a tank of air. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I came up with this, but I don't want to be the one to test it. <laughs> you go. <laughs> But this is like divers today, too. Yeah. Like every diver that's gone down there. So others claim to also still see the spirit of old Whitey literally walking the deck of the ship. Very clearly not the body, but an actual ghost, like walking around and going about his activities as he's still alive. So there's a body and potentially a spirit of this person. As long as it's not mean, you know? (laughs) Don't want benevolent ghosts. Benevolent ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, so he he never actually attempted to harm anyone. Mostly would just hang out with the divers. Mm -hmm. Um, While he was initially disturbing, old Whitey would often float peacefully next to the diver, so close that they could even see the wedding ring on his fingers. Mm. Old Whitey is widely regarded now as the guardian of the ship, and it's thought that he is the captain, Captain Brian, as the captain is traditionally the last person to leave a ship during a shipwreck. So oh, that would true. probably make the most sense. Yeah. They don't know who he is exactly. And they found like, what, nine people on the island? Mm-hmm. And so that would leave eight others, right? Mm-hmm. There's like 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. That they never found. So he's one of them. He's number 10. So today, Old Whitey still floats around the wreck of the Cam Loops. However, he tends to occupy the engine room most of the time, and the ship is considered his burial ground now. So because of Old Whitey, the National Park Service and Isle Royale National Park has protected the shipwreck as a national treasure. They now only allow the most experienced and respectful divers on the bottom, and many add in their dive logs that they paid their respects to Old Whitey. I was just about to say, I will tell you that if I was diving a shipwreck and a (laughs) dead body floated by me, I would immediately, like, just resurface. (laughs) Fuck the bends. The bends, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go straight back up. No safety stop, just straight up. Haley would die. (laughs) Straight up to the top, go immediately to the ER. (laughs) She would either be dead because she left the ship in the middle of a blizzard, or she'd be dead because a body floated past her. Yeah, either way, I'm dying. (laughs) Don't take any of Haley's survival advice at this point. (laughs) Yeah, don't. That does not mean, however, that the wreck of the Kamloops has not stopped taking victims because on July 13th, 2013, Lloyd Cron or crone a 55 year old diver from minnesota suffered a fatal diving accident while diving the wreck oh no he was diving with two others on a chartered scuba trip operated by isle royale charters incorporated after descending to their target depth the two partners noticed that crone was experiencing an unknown difficulty the two divers attempted to help but they had to go to the surface after he became unconscious when he was spotted by the boat crew, he was unresponsive and not breathing. By the time the ranger EMTs reached him, he was declared deceased. After this in- incident, Park Superintendent Phyllis Green temporarily closed the Cam Loops wreck to divers, saying, We are deeply saddened by the scuba accident. 
Divers understand the risks involved in diving at such extreme depths, but accidents can happen. We will do a thorough examination of this accident and review operations at the site before opening it to further recreational diving. It is unknown based on my internet research, uh, what exactly was the cause of his death? Like what exactly the accident was. So that happens a lot down here. Yeah. The diving accidents. Yeah. Especially at that depth. I mean, that's, that's it's mm-hmm. fucking deep. Yeah. So the past always tends to have a way of sticking around, whether it is leaving notes in bottles, leaving debris on the shore or preserving what's lost in the great lakes. This is especially true while the run of the SS cam loops ultimately ended in a devastating tragedy and the loss of 22 lives. Old whitey has made sure that the ship and her story stays around well into the future and guards over his final resting place. As Gordon Lightfoot's song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, so famously said, the lake, it is said, never gives up her dead. And that is especially true of the SS Kamloops and its last crew member, Old Whitey. Wow. Good story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was yeah, wondering where the Old Whitey part was going to come into play because of the, the document title. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally uh, so soap soap man. Yep, just a soap man. Yeah, man made a soap. I tried to Google images of it because I'm like, well, if we have the diving technology today, and he's still down there, someone's bound to put a photo on the internet. Yeah, but I couldn't find one quickly. So yeah, so there is the if you scroll down, there is one photo, and it's the only one because I think they try to keep a lot of. I mean, because it's a picture of a dead guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's the one that I found. Yeah. But you can't really tell. I think that maybe it just looks like his feet. Yeah. Out, yeah. But yeah. Um, that is like the only one that you can find. And I'm kind of glad that it's not super detailed because it's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I don't know, people taking pictures of dead bodies to me kind of feels like snuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like for, for oh, I'm going to look at this dead body I found mm-hmm. on this right. Let me show the internet. It's so cool. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, but also though, too, like, I don't know. I feel like if there's a dead body that's like stays with the ship, I feel like they shouldn't allow divers to go down. Like, you know how like the mm-hmm. cave thing? With yeah. The, what's his name? I forget his name already. But when the cave guy died in there from a heart attack from getting stuck. Yeah. They, like sealed the cave up. Yeah. Like, I feel like that should kind of be a similar thing. Yeah. That's the thing with like a lot of these stories. I mean, because Everest is the same way. There's tons of bodies up there, but like they're not going to shut it down because people pay a lot of money. Yeah. But isn't that like one of the main sources of income for that Mm -hmm. area of Nepal, though? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it is a little different with this because you could close the wreck. You could. There's other wrecks around. You can dive, right? Yeah. That's true. This one. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, 1,500 of them, actually. (laughs) You got a lot of options. (laughs) But it is a very interesting, and the whole, like, out of corpse wax is, like, a very strange thing that, like, preserves bodies, and Mm -hmm. it's almost like an underwater mummy in some ways. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's the story today. And I uh, hope you all have uh, the recommend the Edmund Fitzgerald stuck in your head now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, go look it up. It's it's a classic. <laughs> I think that's just a Swinford thing too. 
I don't know. There's a lot of people on TikTok that are really into that song. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have conservation corner for us today? I do just a little little quick minute. Um, okay. I did not pick a species or anything because the Great Lakes is so great. Uh, but I just picked the Great Lakes Conservation.com. It's the Great Lakes Conservation Coalition. So you can mm-hmm. like it's like the main way anybody can like support any Great Lakes conservation that's happening. They address issues like climate change, invasive species, public land and water access, and wildlife habitat. And if you go on their website, which is greatlakesconservation.com, but there's a part on the website where um, if you poke around, there's a button where like, it already has a message formed to their um, their like government leaders mm-hmm. to write in like about Asian carp. That's like one of the ones that they have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a contact. Invasive yeah. species and zebra mussels are another mm-hmm. big invasive species in that area. Yeah. Um, as they are like basically the lake is becoming completely replaced with invasive species, like everything in it, all the native yeah. species, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's at the bottom of the page. Take mm-hmm. action and then gotcha. there's there's a stop Asian carps and a message to mm-hmm. um your the representative that's up there. Yeah. Like yeah, a- the Great Lakes are really messed up nowadays. Yeah, well, because then you also have all the algal blooms from the farming runoff and stuff, mm-hmm. and like it's it's not considered ecologically dead because there's still life down there, but like the actual like ecosystem is completely different from what it was even just a hundred years ago because of like Asian carp and zebra mussels have replaced so much like many of the native species that it's becoming like almost like a monoculture of those kinds of species um yeah which sucks but if you go into their issues and invasive species tab it says that the aquatic invasive species cost them about uh two million dollars per year that's it two million like the impact of like the negative impact it's costing them 200 million dollars oh 200 million okay i may have said two, i may have i may have said 2 million just knowing how my brain is this morning but it's 200 million dollars either way those numbers are much larger than money that you play with <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and it says specifically invasive carp are a serious threat to health of our great lakes and inland waters mm. um the Great Lakes Conservation Coalition works to help prevent the spread of invasive species throughout the Great Lakes region and across the country. Mm-hmm. Strongly supportive of the Brandon Road Lock and Dam project that's aimed to help th- keep the invasive carp out of the Great Lakes. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> we have zebra mussels down here because yeah. of all of that. Did you know that? Did not. We do. Yeah. yeah. And they basically just come in and outcompete every other native mussel species. Which native mus- freshwater mussels are Im- important, like food sources, and they're you know the basis of a lot of our ecosystem down here. So unless you're a generalist fish, you may not be able to have your food source anymore. Look, just compete, okay? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Competition breeds excellence, okay? Adapt or die. Yeah. Adapt or die. All right. So real quick, let me do my uh, citations first. So uh, I did uh, Isle Royale National Park Service and SS Kim Loops from the National Park Service. Um, Lake Superior, Isle Royale National Park and Out of Beaucaire on Wikipedia. 
Meet Old Whitey, the preserved corpse of SS Kamloops, Lake Superior's most haunted shipwreck by Greg Newkirk um, from Week and Weird. Old Whitey, the haunted corpse of the SS Kamloops paranormal catalog. And Old Whitey continues to haunt Lake Superior divers by Jojo Girard, or Girard um, from the 98.7 Grand Rapids. Uh, fatal diving accident at Isle Royale. Kamloops wreck temporarily closed from the National Park Service uh, Lake Superior magazine. So I'm like reading these and I'm like, there are no like real news sources I want to talk about Old Whitey. <laughs> No. And he definitely exists. He's real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So, um, yeah, we'll real quickly. Happy things. Okay. Happy thing for me is that uh, my boyfriend's finally on his weekends off and we both just worked a shit ton of overtime. So we're just having a weekend, just not yeah. doing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's my happy thing is just finally getting some downtime. But even the downtime is limited because it's just event after event after event for work. And I dragged you on to do this. So <laughs> Oh no, it's fine. This is easy stuff for sure. Um, but the the backyard bird counting thing with the ornithology lab at Cornell mm-hmm. or whatever, I think it's with them or it's with the Merlin bird app. Like you can use that to help them count. Mm-hmm. That's this weekend. So when I said I got distracted with birds, I was like using my bird app outside. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I, was like, I, I still had my do not disturb on on my phone too. And I was like, just literally playing with birds and shit. Like, It's <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I'm late because I was with birds. Yeah, I think every single conservation corner you've done up until now has been about a bird species. <laughs> has it really? Oh, yeah, I did yes. penguins and I did a blue footed booby. Yep, you're right. Yeah. They have been birds. That's funny. Yep. <laughs> did an owl, I think. <laughs> and a condor? I did. Yeah, oh, that's did. really funny. I did not even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was never, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to see how long this goes. I, for. that's really funny. Huh. Well, that's yep. my subconscious working clearly. So, yeah. Uh, my happy thing this week, I guess, is that you came down. I did do that. Yeah, you did. So it's it just a nice, a nice little surprise and a yeah. uh, nice way to spend my week because Corey or my weekend because Corey's not here. He's working because the weather's been absolute crap until this weekend. So they haven't gone out in the fields like all month. God. <laughs> so you got a happy thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm going over to Germany to see my girlfriend in a couple weeks yeah. and I like have the tickets Ooh. like I am going for sure. So that's nice. Fine. Yeah. Time off. Yeah. Go see Dot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that it's cute all right so um oh god yeah this is so much pressure oh my god i don't think we can okay (laughs) i think we can do it i think i think we can do it if we just do it real quick all right so where can our listeners find us if they want to listen to more of our bullshit (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys can find us on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast. You can find us on TikTok at Believe the Same Link. I gotta get used to that now. That this is we're new to TikTok, and, and f- Facebook is Mother and- Nature Will Kill You. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then we also have our website, Mother Nature Will Kill You dot com. And our Twitter account is dead. No more Twitter. Yes. No more Twitter. <laughs> no. No more. Elon kicked you off. <laughs> Talking about conservation, absolutely not. God, you know when he was like the with the poll of like who likes me and who doesn't kind of thing. <laughs> I lost. was like, he's gonna use that just to like kick everybody off. Like, it's... <laughs> I just love that people were trying to 
be him <laughs> or like yeah. for a while and then he like Do- doja off. cat like got him to allow her to change her name and then she immediately changed it to his name <laughs> <laughs> doja cat out there fighting the, the real fight that's funny okay so tiktok is mnwky podcast okay and so they're all to- the same except for me yeah we don't have podcasts yeah and i gotta make some talks today. okay and then you can listen to us on any podcasting listening platform like apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, all that stuff and if you uh have a survival story of your own that you want to submit um if you were involved in a shipwreck um and either died on isle royale or became a soap man we want to hear about it well, but if you haven't <laughs> <laughs> um really any story about a time you were uncomfy out in nature like maybe you got lost in the woods for a day or two or um were out on a boat with some lightning and it was really sketchy um yeah write it in and you can send it we have a page on our website um where you can submit um podcast stories um or you can send it to our email oh my goodness your puppy he does not even know that the camera's on him (laughs) 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 getting some puppy love in the background that's why i thought it was so funny i was like he just came in to give waylon some love and (laughs) (laughs) sorry for that all right well i think that's it all righty well until next time wait is that me is that you help professionals at work (laughs) until next time stay safe but most of all stay Stay curious curious what's happening am i saying the wrong thing right now yes your part is stay safe but most of all (laughs) we literally did this last week I thought it was weird. I was like, why am I feeling like I'm saying too much right now? All right. I'm like looking at time. Stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. (laughs) Good God. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) You need some fucking coffee. (laughs) I I was like looking at you. I was like, is she gonna say it? I just felt like there was a long pause. I was like, am I supposed to say it? Like You've done this 50 times. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's incredible that you guys are able to produce this like every other week. <laughs> Between watching horrible. birds and not knowing if your microphone's plugged in. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. We'll see Bye. you later. <laughs>